That's our sincere prayer that we reach out and see Jesus. Good morning, one and all. All in one. As we get ready, open our service. God of grace and God of glory. We want to welcome all those by way of television this morning to all of it, United Methodist Church here in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. We thank you for your prayer support and any financial support that you can share. Um, we do struggle in numbers. We're great in quality. Our opening hymn this morning is, is God of Grace and God of Glory, Red Hymnals number 466. 466. Would you please stand? Thank you, and if you so kindly turn to our next hymn, O Soul, Are You Weary and Troubled? Red Number Hymnals, 252, verses 1 and 3. You may be seen.
Jesus. Then our, um, our beloved Chris Larson brought his, um, Katie's um, auxiliary notes. And Chris, do you want to just kind of pass that around? Because it's, it um, kind of highlights the blessing of the bikes. And Chris has highlighted those areas in yellow. Yeah, would you please? We having sound problems. I think could we turn it up a little? I think we're we're not getting anything. I think through this mic, are we? We'll take a few minutes. In uh, Chris Hall's daughter room. We have a little volume here, please. A little volume. Any volume at all? Is it working? Can you hear it? Can't hear it. I can't hear it. Here. It's one of the things Desert Storm, Desert Shield, it affects your hearing mind, I think. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just want to thank you this morning. We thank you for a wonderful Sunday school class, and we thank you, Father, for this bright and glorious day. We thank you for Michelle and her progress and her physical healing. We pray for others, Lord, by way of television and radio and YouTube and BitChu and so many other means of communication that Robin has set us up with to reach out to those that are unable to come to church. We pray for our land, which is in so much chaos and confusion, and pray for our government and our leaders, Lord, that they would turn to you and just, not only in talk, but in action and practicum. We pray, Father, that they would examine themselves according to the examination of, of Scripture today as we prepare to exegete and do an expository thought on Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. We pray for the writers this morning. We pray for John and Helen Ryder, spoken to them, and they bring their love and greetings. And Helen is having some extreme cases of dementia. And Mary Rondorf, we, we thank you for the ministry of Copperfield and other facilities, Lee Square, and nursing homes and St. Teresa's and we pray for our law enforcement that that need more respect and we, we thank you for the fact that they put their lives on the line for our protection and for our guidance and we just pray Father that, that you continue to bless them as they seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness and we come and worship today we may be few in numbers, but we're great in quality. Pray for those who are not with us that are traveling. We thank you for the safe return of those who have been traveling and their return. We pray for Jay Hoppin and the gathering. We thank you for the local ministries that, that support our church here. We pray that you continue to bless and move in faster life and the ministry of, of the gathering. We thank you for the able leadership of Jay Hoppin. We pray that we would continue to work together closely. 
We see the summer months rushing by. We thank you for the wonderful attendance and whiz-bang days, and thank you for the safety and security, and we pray that you continue to bless and protect our parking lot and our church, and we, we thank you for the members who diligently keep the facilities operating, and we thank you, Father, for the many prayer supports of those by way of television and other means of communication that we, we have to reach out. And Lord, as we examine the Lord's prayer today, we realize that Jesus taught on prayer a couple times in his ministry, and we look at Dr. Luke's example of Jesus' teaching. We pray, Father, that you would bless and minister to us as we pray that prayer that our Lord has taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And if you're joining us by way of television, or radio, or other means of communication, Facebook. Our scripture reading is taken from Luke's Gospel, Dr. Luke's Gospel, um, the 11th chapter, chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And Bible scholars and, and preachers and books of the Bible oftentimes remind us that we need to just be very limited on our selection of scripture, especially when you're dealing with such a common scripture and we take it so for granted that we know these words. But we've broken this down into just these powerful four verses, powerful verse verses. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, please. May God add his particular blessing to this word of scripture. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone that's indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial may god bless the reading and the hearing of his word good morning brothers and sisters our scripture today dealt prayer and the disciples asked jesus we teach us to pray now, we all know, especially disciples know, to go to our Heavenly Father with wants and needs. But how do we do that in the most effective manner? What's the best way to pray to Him? God isn't a magic genie that can just give us or me anything I want or we want when we want it. That's not who He or what He is. And that thought really offends me deeply. Our God is on a much more majestic 
and a higher level than that. He doesn't just grant humans wants and needs. That's not, it's not who he is. It's not what he is. He is not a personal magic genie. Jesus often and consistently took the time out of his time here on earth to pray and talk to his Father God. We're to replicate Christ's words and actions on earth, so why would we not do the same thing? He prayed to display for us and his disciples and the people back then his connection, his relationship, and his dependence on his Father God. We are not to do anything less than be that dependent and tune in to what the Father God wants for us. The Lord answered how to pray the disciples' question. He, made, he brought up the Lord's Prayer. I would say that's a minimum answer because the way that prayer is and what it is should almost be continuously in our mind because we are to always be talking to God in our everyday circumstances. Where we're going, what we're doing, it all deserves and needs prayer. Praying, praying is so simple that even children do it, and they should be encouraged to do so. However, a prayer's fulfillment and answers can have enormous and gigantic earthly, spiritual, and personal results and consequences. Jesus showed the disciples and us in the Bible the elements of a proper prayer, what it should contain. The first thing it does is identifies who the prayer is addressed to. Father God, our Father who is in heaven. What that does is recognize the receiver of the prayer, the person who's listened, and his current domain. It also identifies the entire Christian community. Because it doesn't say, my father, it says, our father. The word hallowed, when it says, hallowed be your name, in the next sense, means his name and being are set apart majestically like no other. Even his name is holy. And like no other entity has or will ever have that name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. This is recognized the majestic surroundings of Father God. In literally replacing his will for what we have on earth. Because his will is spirit did not only ours, but anything else. It also recognized a Christian's desire to see his kingdom rule done on earth just as it exists right now currently with him in heaven. There is no disobedience, no sin, no lies, and no altering of God's word in heaven where he is. That's why we want him to come down here to earth. Give us this day our daily bread. It's not just talking about food. Yes, we need bread and water. But it's talking about so much more. It's showing that we depend on God's beautiful provision for us physically as well as spiritual needs. Our daily bread is not only food and drink, although we should and can thank him for those. It's also 
our ability through him to discern things and pronounce forgiveness in his name over those that have hurt us in some fashion. Sin is a debt that without Jesus in our lives would forever separate us from Father God. And forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. We have strayed from his word in our dealings with others, and certainly others have hurt or damaged us in the same way. The most important my sense, the most important sense in my in my sermon is right here. Unforgiveness is in direct contradiction to godliness. I'll say it again. Unforgiveness is in direct contradiction to godliness. We're supposed to replicate Jesus. If we if we don't forgive people when they do bad things to us, we're missing the mark in a big, big way. I'll say it one more time just because it never gets old. Unforgiveness is in direct contradiction to godliness. You cannot be like Jesus or like God if you don't forgive people. It's just that simple. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Another word for temptation is test. We should never brag to others about our personal ability to resist temptation. Who among us is without sin? Yeah, we all make our own different choices, but there is no sin really worse than another. To God, they're all, they all, they're all abhorrent to God. The bad things done around and to us are always overcome with faith in Jesus' name and with Jesus' strength. It takes the word, it takes us to turn away from them and go the opposite direction. Oh, what? So-and-so really wanted to hurt me, so they did this. Yeah? Move on on your path to God. I wish I could forget some of the bad things that were done to me, but I can't. But you know what? That's not what it's about. What should be first and foremost in my heart is forgiveness. Because if I don't forgive somebody, I'm no better than you know who. The need for Christians to pray to our Father is neither partial, partial nor optional. We can't say, oh, I don't feel like praying. What is that? You don't want to talk to your Father God that he gives you so much that has given his life for you? It's too much to pray to him? That, uh, I don't even like to think about that. Christians do need to spend time talking to Father God. It's an absolute necessity. And it's mandatory because it's not just asking God for a personal wish list. Oh God, give me that. Give me this. Oh, and next week I, I really like that. That's no way to talk to God. Like I said before, he's not a magic genie. We need to pray to go to our Heavenly Father God, not only with a quest, but with a desire to learn from how he's answered our prayers. He doesn't ever answer every prayer just the way we want him to, 
we're missing the mark if we do that. But if we pray about something and it works out in a different way, we need to pray to God that we can learn from that. How it was answered. Every prayer is answered. There's no prayer that goes unanswered on this entire planet. But if you pray to learn the godly lesson from how it was answered, you're not missing the mark. You're on track. No matter how God answers our prayer, it's not only, like you say, for us to see how the prayer was answered, it's better for us to see the godly wisdom and majesty in the fashion of how our prayers were answered. Amen. And I think Mike's probably going to be sharing next week a little bit about his experiences of prayer and life. And, you know, he, um, one of the parts of his testimony that always stands out in my mind is when he was hit and flew all those, what was it, 80 some feet or something? 62 feet. 62 feet. And one of the first times that he was back at the clinic for a checkup, he ran into the party that, that hit him. And the party that hit him said, you can't imagine the damage you did to my van. And I talk, think, wow, thank you, Jesus. I think Abbott and Costello are barking over there and can keep us busy this morning, so I, I want to acknowledge them. They just love my voice, and I always say, bless you guys, bless you guys. What, what, what are the actual names of those dogs? Shadow? Shadow and, let's say, everybody say shadow and snowball. Shadow and snowball. They have exceptional hearing, but they like attention periodically. Some thoughts I have taught large, large Sunday school classes and in confirmation classes in the past, um, 30, 40 people. And, and one of the most outstanding times in my ministry was having confirmation classes where the students were, I would open it up to asking a question on what they would like for me to teach. And, and whenever these young students, young teenagers would ask the question, you know, Pastor, just teach us how to pray, teach us how to pray. And it's one thing to see the disciples, you know, probably young adults asking Jesus, you know, how to pray. But I, I think it's very significant that we as parents, when our children ask us, you know, teach us how to pray, or our grandchildren, and one of the first things I do when I call my grandchildren, and I know the answers on the phone, I'll say, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And then now through modern technology, we get phones that you can actually see them. And it's so exciting to see these little children kind of dance, you know. The music and, and little Elsie, you know, just a little over a year old, how she picks up immediately that it's grandpa's voice, grandpa's picture, and grandpa's singing. Here in these very verses before us today contain the prayer 
It's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Few passages of scripture perhaps are as well known as this. There's not often when I go through a worship service and I, I delete the Lord's Prayer because of some time constraints in that, and somebody will say, no, we gotta, we gotta say the Lord's Prayer. And it seems like sometimes if you don't say the Lord's Prayer and you leave church, you, it's almost like they haven't worshiped. And the most benighted Roman Catholic can tell us that there is a prayer called Paternotus. And the most ignorant English child has heard something about the Lord's Prayer. And as I congregate with many of the unchurched at Fort Snelling Cemetery, and, and people request um, not a, a religious ceremony because they say that the deceased wasn't religious, but I'm all, always kind of call them around the casket or around the urn to lay hands and join me in the Lord's Prayer. And even the, the most unbelieving and the most persons that have asked and requested um, not a religious service, they join me in the Lord's Prayer. They join me so they know the importance of the Lord's Prayer as it appears in the, this very simple fact that our Lord Jesus Christ delivered it twice. Not once, but twice, with very slight variations. And he who never spake a word without a good reason has thought fit to teach us in this prayer about two very distinct two distinct occasions on occasions. And twice the Lord God spoke the Ten Commandments. And how many times did God speak the Ten Commandments on tables of stone? Deuteronomy chapter 9, 10, and in verse 4. Twice the Lord Jesus delivered the Lord's Prayer. The commandments twice. The Lord's Prayer twice. And the occasion of the Lord's Prayer being delivered a second time in the verses before us is, is fully, fully, truly interesting. Now, if you're by way of television or radio, you probably had an, maybe an interesting week, and by the fact of an interesting week, you might anticipate maybe a more interesting next week. I used to have a person, a nurse, her name was Harriet, up in one of my first congregations in Deer River, and she was a charge nurse. And she'd get a hold of clergy um, when she anticipated the death of a, a patient. She couldn't get a hold of a, a clergy. She'd always recite the Lord's Prayer. And oftentimes she would say that the patient would, would smile, would smile as she was saying the Lord's Prayer and, and as the patient was transitioning from this life to the next. The Lord's Prayer brings comfort. It appears that one of the disciples said, Lord, Lord, teach us to pray. Now the answer to that request was a well-known prayer which we are now considering. And who this disciple was, we do not know. What he did will 
be remembered as long as the world exists. Happy are those who partake of, of his feelings and often cry, Lord, teach me to pray. And these words are oftentimes repeated among those where I have the privilege of seeing that transition from this life to the next. And when I was a chaplain at the University Hospital, I, some of the most outstanding occasions of experiences of transition and, and overwhelmingness of people moving from this life to the next was when they would cry out and they'd, they'd say, teach me to pray. Now the substance of the Lord's Prayer is, is a mine. It's a real gold mine of spiritual treasure. Treasure. To expound it fully in a work like this is almost manifestly impossible. When I first arrived at all the United Methodist Church, didn't have any prayer groups, um, Bible studies, and, and the ladies contacted me and said, that I think it was a number of the ladies that had moved from Grace to Olivet. And the question was asked, can you teach us a study on the Lord's Prayer? And, and we had a, almost a three-month study, weekly, 12 weeks of study in Jimmy Buckingham's book, Prayer. What he did will be remembered as long as the world stands. Happy are those who partake of this feeling of prayer and often cry out, Lord, teach me to pray. This is a treasure. This is a treasure. To expound it fully as a work like this is, is almost impossible. The prayer on which volumes, truly volumes, have been written does not admit of being handled properly in just a few pages, a few Sundays. For the present, it, it must suffice us to notice its leading. There's divisions, leading divisions, and to mark the leading trains of thought, which it should suggest to us for private meditation. And what you've heard earlier, I won't relate or duplicate. I'll just elaborate. The first um, divisions of the Lord's Prayer respects. Respects the God whom we worship. There's nothing that will replace worship, congregational worship. You can listen to Christian preachers on television by way of radio, and we don't want to minimize those who are joining us by way of television and radio, but there's nothing of such importance of, as communal. When the Word of God says the importance for safety, not the assembling of one another, together as you experience the tribulation of times and the tribulations of anticipation, that we need to respect God whom we worship. And during the fact of our preparation for worship, our tentativeness and, and singing the hymns, and our focus, our focus is reliant upon no individual but the, our focus is upon worship and the essence of worship. We're taught to approach God as our Father in heaven, our Father, no doubt, as, as a creator, but, but very specifically our Father, no doubt, as, as our creator. But especially as our Father, 
reconciled to us in Jesus Christ. Our Father, whose dwelling is in heaven, and whom we no temple on earth has ever contained, but wherever two or three are gathered together in his name, that he, he is present. The importance of God's presence. We then make mention of, of three great things. Three great things. Our Father's name, our Father's name, our Father's kingdom, and our Father's will. We should seek all three each and every Sunday. Our Father's name, our Father's kingdom, and our Father's will. We are taught to pray that the name of God may be sanctified, may be hallowed, hallowed by, hallowed be thy name. In using these words, we do not mean that God's name admits of degrees of holiness or that any prayers of ours can make it more holy than it is. But we declare our, our hearty desire. God desires, desires our worship. And that's why it's so exciting to see our worship teams, this sanctuary being used as a, a time of worship during the week with J-Hop and, and the gathering and all of it, United Methodist Church, we declare our hearty desire that God's character and his attributes and perfections may be more made known and honored and, and glorified by all his intelligent creatures. In fact, it is the very petition which the Lord Jesus himself puts up on another occasion and he says in John, the 12th chapter, the 28th verse, Father, glorify thy name. And we are next taught to pray that God's kingdom may come. Thy kingdom come. In no saying, and in so saying, we declare our desire that the usurped power of Satan may speed, speedily be cast down, that the power of Satan has upon us may be totally quenched, that all humankind may acknowledge that God is their lawful king, and that the kingdoms of this world may become, in fact, as they are in the promise, the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. In the final setting of his kingdom has been long predicted, even from the very day of the fall of Adam, the whole creation groans in expectation of this restoration. In the last prayer in the Bible points it out, in book of Revelations, the canon of scripture almost closes with the words, come, say it with me, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. We are taught thirdly to pray that God's will may be done, that his will may be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In so saying, we express our longing desire that the, the number of God's converted and obedient people on earth may greatly increase and brought low and that the time may speedily arrive when, when all, when all 
the angels in heaven will rejoice with humanity here upon earth. Habakkuk chapter 2, 14, and Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11. And such is this first, this first invitation and division of the Lord's Prayer. It's a marvelous fullness and deep importance cannot be overrated. Blessed indeed are those Christians who have learned that God's name is far more honorable than that of any earthly potential and leader. That God's kingdom is the only kingdom that shall stand forever. And that God's law, the rule to which all have to be conformed, the more these things are understood and believed as a land and in a land, the happier that land will be. The days when all will acknowledge these things will be the days of heaven upon earth. In the second division of the Lord's Prayer, we respects our daily, our daily needs, which oftentimes we emphasize more than others, rather than his worship and his praise. We seek our wants. We're taught to make mention of, of two things that we, which we need every day. These two things are one of them that's temporal and, and the other is spiritual. One of them is bread and the other is the forgiveness. The forgiveness of sins. We're taught to ask for bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Under the word bread, no doubt, is included everything which our bodies can require. We acknowledge our entire dependence upon God for life and breath in all things. We ask God to take charge of us and provide for us in all the concerns of this world. It is a prayer of Solomon in the Old Testament under another form when he says, feed, feed me, feed me with food convenient for me. Proverbs chapter 30. Verse 8, we're taught to ask in the next place for forgiveness. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted, indebted to us. In so saying, we confess that we are fallen, we are guilty, we are corrupt creatures, and in many things we offend daily in thought. Things done and undone, we make no excuse for ourselves, we plead nothing. In our own behalf, we simply ask for the free, full, gracious mercy of our gracious Heavenly Father, Jesus. And we accompany the petition by the only profession which the whole Lord's Prayer contains. We, we profess that we forgive everyone that is indebted, indebted to us. The combined simplicity and the richness of the second division of the Lord's Prayer can never be sufficiently, sufficiently admired. And how soon are these words spoken? And it, yet how much are these words taken in? Father, this morning, as we close our daily bread and our daily mercies are by far the first and principal things that our mortal beings want and that it's rich who possess him. He is the wise person who is not ashamed to pray for them every day. 
The child of God, no doubt, is fully justified before God and all things are working for his good. But it is a life of true faith. True faith to supply daily for fresh supplies of all our wants through the promises are all ours. Our Father likes his children to remind him of them. Though washed, we need only to wash our feet. And in conclusion, we realize that this third division of our Lord's Prayer is the request for our daily dangers. The dangers of ourselves and our children and our, our grandchildren who ought to. And we are taught to make mention of two things which we ought to fear every day and which we must expect to meet with as long as we are in this world. One of these things is temptation. Temptation and the other is evil. We are taught to pray against temptation. Lead us not into temptation. We do not mean this by expression that God is the author of evil or that he tempts us to sin, as James 1.13 reminds us. But we entreat God who orders all things in heaven and earth and without whom nothing can happen, so to order the course of our lives that we may be tempted above what we can bear. We confess our weakness and our readiness to fall. We entreat our Father to preserve us from trials or else to make a way for us to escape. We ask that our feet may be kept and that we may not bring discredit on our profession of our faith and Christianity and Christ and the misery of our souls. We are taught lastly to pray against evil, deliver us from evil. We include under the word evil everything that can hurt us, either in body or soul and especially every weapon of that great author of evil, the devil. And we confess that ever since the fall, the world lieth in the wicked one, 1 John chapter 5, 19. We confess that evil is in us, about us, and near us, and on every side, and that we have no power to live for ourselves from it. We apply to the strength that you give to us. We cast ourselves on you, O Lord, for protection. In fact, we ask what our Savior himself asked for us when he said, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil one. And such is this last division of the Lord's Supper. Then in reality and in real importance, it is not a whit inferior to the two other divisions which we have already considered. It leads us precisely to the position which Jesus ought to occupy. It puts us and puts in our mouth the language of humility. The most dangerous state in which we can be is, is not to know and, and feel our spiritual danger. And that, now let us use this Lord's Prayer for the trial of our own state before God. It is words that have probably passed over the lips of thousands of individuals and thousands of times, but we really need to feel it. Do we really desire its petitions to be granted? Is God really our Father? Are we born again and made his children by faith in Christ? Do we care much for his name and his will? Do we really wish the kingdom of God to come? Do we feel our need of daily temporal mercies and of daily pardon of sin? Do we fear falling into temptation? Do we dread our evil above all things? And these are serious questions. They deserve serious consideration. And let us strive to make the Lord's Prayer our model and platform 
and patter in all our approaches to God. Let it suggest to us the sort of things which we should pray for and pray against. Let it teach us the relative place and proportion which we should give to each subject in our prayers. The more we ponder and examine the Lord's Prayer, the more instructive and suggestive shall we find it to be. In Jesus' precious name, amen. If you turn with me now to our offertory prayer printed in our bulletins, and as we prepare this morning for the taking up of the offering and the sweet hour of prayer, join me in this prayer. Lord, who blessed the work of the apostles' hands to spread of the gospel, grant us in our several vocations diligently to labor for the extension of your kingdom, for the sake of him who gave himself for the life of the world, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As the ushers come forward this morning for the offering, let us turn to our offertory hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer, read number 434, please. grace and the peace and the fellowship of God, the Holy Spirit, go forth and guide you and protect you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 